Welcome back, class. On this week's episode of the Horror Pod Class, we're talking about Greek Scooby-Doo mysteries, new Paul Tremblay and Nicole Cushing, emotional residue, haunted houses, and paranormal activity. The movie from 2007. Welcome to the Junior Year, Episode 2 of the Horror Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Signal Horizon and uh, a teacher at a local high school here in Kansas City, Missouri. Signal Horizon is the go-to place for smart genre programming. So for all our coverage, check out SignalHorizon.com. And tonight I'm joined by our co-host and book editor at Signal Horizon, Michael. How are you, Mike? I'm doing just fine. How you doing, man? I'm okay. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Back to school. Back you know? to school. Back to the grindstone. Oh, yeah. It's been tough, but, uh, you know, we've managed to, to make it okay here in the Ansel household. So, Well, how are you keeping your mind off uh, off work? You got you got some good you got some good horror you've been reading and watching? I have. I have. Um, th- this is uh, not even in my script, but I have been going through all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets with my son, and that has been an absolute fucking blast. So I have really enjoyed that process. He is eager every night to take a look. So when I'm not doing that, I finished today, literally today, Growing Things and Other Stories by Paul Tremblay, who is going to be on the podcast uh, later on. We're ironing out those details as uh, we speak. So Growing Things is excellent. It's mostly reprints, but it's like reprints from, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and they're really difficult to find. And it's just really, really well put together and... uh, yeah, I'll have a formal review of it out here in probably a few days, so you can catch all of it there. But as most things Tremblay has done, I'm a big fan of. So, how how do you like the kind of shout outs and call outs to other works that he's done? How do you like that? Yeah, I thought it was all really uh, well tied in, and felt it didn't feel like shoehorned in like sometimes it can. And and probably my favorite story. In that collection is this uh, pastiche or homage. It's not really a pastiche, but this homage to Laird Baron. And uh, it just made me smile because, like, the characters are named, like, John Langan and Nadia Bolkin. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) I know these people, you know, like, I've read these people. They're wonderful. And also it involves the, um, the Black Guide. Which, oh, excellent. Uh, excellent. I think it's just a fucking cool ass invention. Mm-hmm. So I was super, I was super, um, you know, super happy to see all that. It was like seeing all your friends again, you know, like I dug <laughs> it. good stuff. Um, I also got uh, a screener of the new uh, Larry Fessenden movie, Depraved, which is 100% like a Frankenstein pastiche, but it is fantastic. It's full of heart. Uh, it does some kind of trippy psychedelia with it, which I can totally get behind. But uh, yeah, it's just it's Frankenstein, right? So you see this and you're like, I've seen this particular movie or story told a thousand times. And for Fessenden to be able to give us something new there, I think was pretty remarkable. So 
I don't have the release date in front of me right now, but I know that it's going to show for the first time here coming up in the next few weeks. So if you can get out to a theater, check it out. If not, it'll be out on VOD, and you absolutely need to watch it. Fantastic, fantastic. What about you, buddy? Well, I haven't, haven't watched a whole lot of stuff, but uh, got an early copy from Grimscribe Press of Nicole Cushing's Half Freaks. Oh, yeah. What uh, what do you think? So it's uh, kind of a novella, novelette. Runs about 100 pages. I read it all in one night. Fantastic. I love her stuff. Um, it is transgressive like Nicole Cushing is, but not particularly in a way that's just like kind of beat you over the head with it. Um it's there for a reason. The other one of the other things that I that I love that she does, she really does like blue collar stuff really well, you know. And not, I don't think a lot of writers, at least in our genre, really do do the, do that those kind of characters that well and that kind of setting very well. And she just nails it every single time. It That's is awesome. It is a, it is a great book, and it's like super meta too. That was another thing that just kind of strikes you from the get-go is it's super meta and like you were talking about the kind of the the meta stuff of paul tremblay it's a little bit kind of writer meta stuff i loved it i loved it i'm still kind of digesting it and i'll get a get a review out here pretty soon cool no i dig it so 100 pages that's great though you can just like burn through that and it's not like some of this other stuff where i would love to read it right you get this and you're like man i gotta take a look at this but it's like 400 like the wanderers is a great example right uh, I want to read it. I've heard wonderful things about it, but it is 800 pages. That's such an investment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and she she does a really good job at that at that length. I've read a couple of, of her other works that I think I think kind of fall right around there. And uh, she's somebody that that works really good in that length and and in short and shorter too. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if a lot of people can pull off that kind of novella length very well but she does man every single time so and so it's it's published independent though like it's uh just this uh 100 page thing you can pick up wherever um so it's from grimscribe press i don't have right in front of me when it's going to come out there's a um there was a limited edition run that i missed out on of like 25 or 50 copies or something and i missed out on it sold out in a day um Ah, yeah but there's gonna be a regular trade paperback and i'm 99.99% 99.99% sure there's going to be an ebook, so you'll be able to pick it up that way. I think it's um, in, in the month of October. So, Red. Yeah. Cool. All right, all right. Dark, 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 dark corners, corners of the web. I'm, I'm, excited, I'm excited to talk about dark corners this time because uh, this is a guy that I've introduced you to. Yeah. So we're going to link you to this article. On the name of uh, the name of the website is samchris.com because that's the name of the author. And the would you say I'd say story, right? Not necessarily article story. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, it is called American Aphanesis in Search of Donald Trump. And. It feels very much in the bizarro uh, realm, you know, like it, it is. I don't know. This is your guy. I absolutely fucking loved it. So 
you I should try that. to explain this shit, man. So, I, it's surreal. It is almost. I've tried to describe his style, his his um, style of writing to people before, and it is almost like a completely destitute magical realism. Right. It's yeah. like magical realism without magic. Just weird crap happens. And but it, there's a meaning behind. I don't know, man. This is just great, great stuff. The um, and, and what I really love about it is that he uses this surreal or weird or magical realist or whatever you want to call it. This this writing style to unearth and show you something that is real. Nothing in the, well, very little in this is real, and but there is something real there to be found, and I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's it is uh, a lot of fiction built on these kernels of truths, and that's what I think makes it so unsettling. Is that like clearly it's not real, but it's clearly rooted in the realism of the moment, and it's pretty fucked. Yeah, um, if, I, if there's there, there's another another couple of his works. Uh, if you're interested in, I'll put links to him too. There's a, there's a guy I like on on YouTube, and this is how I got I, I got introduced to it. Is um, he goes by the name the Landstander, and uh, so he's got two Sam Crisp stories on there. Also, one of them is about uh, is called the Creepy Clown Manifesto, which is very very good, and the other one is. Um, about the cereal cafe, and it is again one of my favorites. But uh, but this one about Donald Trump is also just fantastic, man. I knew I knew you'd love this. Yeah, uh, I'm just scanning through some other article names here. He's got one that's called "Scenes from the Zizak Peterson Debate," <laughs> and I haven't read it, but I can't wait. So so another one he's got on there that's really good is Richard uh, Richard Dawkins. And the ascent of madness, and it's basically Richard Dawkins goes crazy. It's like, it's this guy's like gold, and I don't know where he came from or what he does. I need to do some more research about him. See if he's got some other books out there. I don't know. I just love it. I, I love everything he's done. Yeah. And he's got some um, fake quotes, maybe from people. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, because uh, he's they, got. They got. G- they they got to be fake, right? He's got one here that says. Fuck knows, I'm past caring. It's like the living dead in here. Sophocles from Oedipus at Colonus. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. clearly, yeah. Th- that that's not real. Yeah, yeah, man. So uh, you got to check out some samchris.com because his shit is great. It's S-A-M-K-R-I-S-S dot com. All right, buddy, what are we talking about this week? Hopefully something interesting. Uh, I hope it is interesting, too. <laughs> it will be. today. It, we'll make it interesting. T- t- Today's job. essential question is, is Paranormal Activity a good example of a haunted house film? Huh. I've, I didn't consider it a haunted house film because, uh, at, because I've, always, I've always put it in the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, found footage. But yep. let's look at it. Let's see if it's a haunted house. Let's talk about haunted houses and what makes them haunted. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great place to start. So, uh, what do you what do you usually say about these podcasts, Michael? This is a podcast in three acts. I just said 
what makes a haunted house haunted? Of course, it's a ghost. No, what makes them stick in our collective conscious, right? Consciousness, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's a podcast in three acts. First, we're going to talk about haunted houses. That's going to be the majority of this. Uh, where they came from, what they are, why we have this thing. Because I think it's, re- I think it is really weird. I think when you look at it, it, it starts to get really weird. And then we're going to talk about the movie, kind of, kind of briefly refresh everybody's minds about the movie. And then we're going to apply what we t- talked about haunted houses to the movie. Yep, sounds good. All right. So, all right, buddy. History yep. of the haunted house. When? What was the first haunted house story? Okay, so. As far as our records can show us, the first like introduction of a haunted house film or uh, idea or concept or you know um, fictional device, I should say, is from an old uh, Greek uh, play called Mostalaria. And again, I'm I'm totally butchering the pronunciation because I'm not Greek, but it was written. We know it was written between 200 and 194 BCE. So it makes it the oldest haunted house story on the face of the planet. And when you go and do research about it, and I like poured over, I don't know, lots of different translations and lots of different information about it. It's essentially a Scooby-Doo like story. Okay. (laughs) Okay. There is. is, Do do they pull a mask off of Farmer Jenkins at the end? I mean, kind (laughs) of. yeah. Like, so there, the, the, the crux of the story is. There is this like home up on the hill, right? Or in the woods. I'm not exactly sure where Mastelaria takes place. But uh, all of the people around it say that there's scary shit in it, right? Like there might be a ghost there. There's scary stuff that happens. There's noises that happen in the middle of the night. They don't like it at all. So the inheritors of this house are like these city folks or these city dwellers that come out to this place Because essentially they want to sell it. They don't want it. It, it, They know it belongs in their family, but, you know, they they essentially want to get rid of it. Well, as they come to investigate all the scariness, they realize that it's like a squatter that lives in the house that's just been trying to scare people off of it because he, like, wants to continue to live in the house. So it's like there's a Scooby-Doo moment in the play where they're like, it's not, it's not the ghost of... Mostelaria, it's the vagrant that happens to live here, you know, and they rip off the mask and he says, ah, if it weren't for you, uh, Greek furies, I would be able to, you know, whatever. So yeah, that's our earliest version of it. Wow. I mean, that is, that is amazingly specific, amazingly Mm -hmm. specific. The only thing that I would, that I could throw out there that could maybe go back a little bit further, not really like a haunted house, but if you think about like a spirit dwelling in a place, you can go back to religion before that and temples where the God or goddess is supposed to actually be there. Probably your best example is going to be ancient Hebrews. Right. And the, the 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 temple that they would set up in the in the desert with the Holy of Holies. And you could only go back there at a certain time and only the priests could go back there and that kind of stuff. But uh, I think that this one is so specific, like, man, that's the that's the genesis right there. Mostelaria. Ma, yeah. Ma, wow. Mostelaria. So check it out. Yeah. One of the originals. And I was floored by how it it 
introduces a lot of the elements that we still use, and we'll get to those elements later on. But I think it's a you know it's an interesting place to start. Yeah. The, well, the, let's let's the, talk let's talk about the big one, right? The, the 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 which which big one are we talking about? The 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 haunted house novel that redefined what a horror novel is. Oh, okay. The, the haunting of Hill House, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Super popular. Uh, super important. Did you like it? I I read it many many years ago, but um, but yeah, I mean it's it's fantastic. Uh, I think that. You've got you've got something about it on here, don't you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um there's an interesting article uh by an author named Aswathi Ravindran. Again, totally butchering that name, but I love the fucking title. It's called Pernicious Domicile: The Haunted House Formula in Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Okay. So, you are busy people. So, I'm sure you don't have time to read Pernicious Domicile. So I have synthesized or pulled out, I think, some of the greater parts that uh, Aswathi is making um, the argument for, kind of the critical components of um, haunted house films. All right. First, there has to be a terrible crime that occurs in the house. It almost always is a murder, uh, a suicide or, you know, a violent death of some kind. Second, the person murdered uh, was buried on the property somewhere Typically, it was improper, so maybe it was in a wall, or the body was stuck in the attic, or it was buried under the ground, or a hidden room, all of those. Uh, they are all without burial rites. That's kind of the, the important part here, is that there is an almost demon-esque quality about the haunting, because it doesn't have the sacrament of burial. Third, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that murdered person is pissed that they didn't get the final sacrament and haunts the house. There is a moment where the ghost will attempt to communicate uh, exactly what happened to the people that are still there, almost as a as a way to try to solve the, the problem, right? Um, there are reports of visual apparitions and auditory phenomena, uh, so like... We see the ghosts, we hear the ghosts do their things. Um, you know, the actual physical presence of a ghost is important. And finally, the inhabitants are fear fearful and scared to live in the house. So they either give the sacrament a burial or they leave the house. Like in the Amityville movies, definitely haunted house film. They just get the fuck out of Dodge. There's no trying to save the Amityville <laughs> house. They're like, nah, this isn't my thing. In fact, there's a in the book Amityville Horror, there is a really interesting element where the haunting tends to follow them because it's like been imprinted on them, which I think is a different concept, but equally interesting. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. so I, just a couple more things about uh, the the haunting of Hill House. You know, one of the one of the things that uh, I think it, it it brings a lot to the genre. I think that one of the things that it brings is the idea they're kind they don't I don't think they actually call them ghost hunters, but they're kind of like proto ghost hunters. They're people that are looking for uh, the, the characters in the book are looking for this kind of this kind of stuff and, and are kind of trying to do some research about paranormal activity. A thing that I think is really important about haunted house movies, and, and I think that The Haunting of Hill House kind of sets this up, is that. The supernatural resides inside the house. 
And then the emotional content of the characters is brought into the house, right? So there's already, like, your characters already have some, like, frictions. They already have some some of some drama that they bring into the house with them, and then it comes up against a supernatural element. Is that, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that element can almost act, uh, like, catalyst is probably the wrong word, but, like, it... It increases. It, it acts as this um, accelerant to all of those issues, right? So, yeah. you you might not have been a total alcoholic, just a little bit of one, but in you know Hill House or in Amityville, you're a raging alcoholic that does scary things, right? So that's exactly what it does. Yeah. So, and I, I think that there's there's also a plot. Uh, I I've just just came up with this. I'm not like. I don't have this written down or anything. I think that there's a plot to your average uh, um, haunted house movie. And I'm glad you mentioned Hill. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Amityville horror because I think that it, it follows it pretty, pretty regularly where go move into a new house, right? So th- there has to be the, the people going into the house have to be new to the house. Right. Yeah. And that's the first part. And then there's this constant ratcheting up of paranormal activity, Ooh, paranormal activity, paranormal events and stuff like that. Right. And then there's a call to outsiders. Right. Priests, psychiatrists, ghost hunters, like that kind of stuff who cannot help. And then it gets worse. And usually there's this. There's this kind of communication, whether it works or not. And then there's some sort of like breaking point and like a resolution. So I think that's the, that's the story arc that almost all of them kind of go through. And you can, you can also vacillate in between like this is supernatural or this is not supernatural. The, 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 the Haunted House movie is a good one to do that with. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of lean into the supernatural, certainly as of late, right? You yeah, know? I mean, well, I, I mean... There, there's less of the Scooby-Doo ending in, in horror movies, you know? The Scooby-Doo endings are like, there is a practical reason for this, and it's somebody that's doing this thing. I, I think at least the modern intonation of Haunted uh, House movies are like, nah, it's for real Haunted. You know? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that at the end the the viewer is left with 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 a feeling that it was it was not a real haunting i'm saying that as the story progresses you might go back and forth like there might be evidence for oh, and okay. evidence against i got right? you and and i you know usually there's the the skeptic that shows up or even like the real ghost hunter that might tell you like no i don't think it's real like that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. i buy it okay mm-hmm. i think okay. that's totally fair so i have been struggling with trying to explain why people think that not just, not just believe in haunted houses, but believe that there's some sort of like emotional residue, like left behind on things. And I've been, I've been struggling with it because it makes no goddamn sense at all. (laughs) Right. I mean, it makes no sense. Right. There, I mean, there's like, it can't happen. Right. Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't if 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 you are like if you don't believe in that shit, then obviously, right? I, I think that there is a faith element to spirituality of any kind that, you know. Well, let's 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 go a little bit 
beyond that, right? Let, let's let's play let's play a little little game here. All right. Oh, okay. Do you do you want to play a game? Yeah. All, right, all, all right. All right. Imagine if you will, <laughs> you are buying a house. Okay. And you really, I'm your real estate agent. I take you to this house. You really like it. It is exactly at the price point that you're looking for. It's in the right area. Everything about this house is, is you like. Your wife likes the house. It's a great house, right? One of the things that you particularly like about it, which was not really on your list of things that you wanted in a house, but like when you saw it, it was super cool, is an old fireplace. An old fireplace that is made from reclaimed the brick. bones of oh no shit. Right, made sorry. from no 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 made from reclaimed brick as the real estate agent is showing you the house you say where did this reclaimed brick come 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 from right and he says he or she says you know there was this little mom and pop store right across the way they served this community for two generations three generations and then when they built that new highway they had to tear it down but we were lucky enough that a lot of the bricks got to be reused in different new houses that were being built. Wouldn't you think that's cool? I mean, sure. That's the kind yeah. of fucking kitschy suburban, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now imagine it's exactly like that, except they say, oh, yeah, the, all of those all of those bricks come from this this uh, mom and pop convenience store that 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 these people ran for like 40 years and then when they died they went to go tear it down and they found a bunch of dead bodies in the basement they'd been murdering vagrants for years and then chopping them up and selling them selling the meat to people making them into sausages <laughs> meat and pies meat okay. pies right and then we tore it down and i and we made your and we made, <laughs> and this, we made and we made your we, chimney good luck we made yeah. your chimney yeah um would you feel different about it um, first and foremost, uh, real estate agents are shysty as shit. And I know they are legally obligated to tell you if somebody was killed in your house, they're not legally obligated to tell you where your reclaimed bricks come from. So they're telling you the first story, regardless of what actually I, happened in the second. This story. is a thought experiment, dude. Come on. Uh, okay, fine. Um, Obviously, I would feel yeah. way sketchier about the second version than I would the first. And not just you, but I think most people would feel that way. I think Fuck almost yeah. all people. I think, think you that way. would feel that way. I, I I would, and I don't believe any of this stuff. And yeah. if you if you are still skeptical about this, right? Uh, think about if it was you. Would you want something like that hanging around your house? So. Anyways, so it's this emotional residue thing. And I like, why do people think that there's emotional residue, right? So I found this article called Beliefs About Emotional Residue, The Idea That Emotions Leave a Trace in the Physical Environment by four researchers, Savani, Kumar, uh, uh, Naidu, and Dweck. And they came together. They have, they did like eight or nine different experiments on a randomized group of people asking them questions, not that extreme, the much less extreme question, like kind of, kind of thought experiment type questions and stuff. Their whole thing was they were wondering if, um, if different cultural, if, if they could measure the cultural differences between um, Americans and Indians about it. Right. Okay. 
So, uh, but just super interesting. One one of the things that I pulled out was uh, um, from the from the article is drawing upon the literatures on belief about magical contagion because they call it magical contagion a lot and property transmission. We examine people's beliefs in a novel mechanism of human to human contagion, emotional residue. This is the lay belief that people's emotions leave traces on the physical environment, which can later influence or be influenced or be sensed by others. So that's kind of a ghost, right? I mean, we're, we're well, in yeah. the, we're in the ballpark, right? Oh, and uh, no, I just, I, so I thought, I thought of a lot of it was just, was just absolutely fascinating. And then they came up with some reasons why we would think that way. Right. There's a lot of like cognitive. And one of the things that they're very interested in maybe pursuing further is, is whether or not this is something that humans just naturally come up with. Or if this is something that is like basically all cultural, and I, I, I t- can tend to lead to like this is something that I think all cultures have this yeah. some some more than others, and I think it's a natural human thing. And one of the this was fascinating. One of the ways they said that maybe this is this is um, universal is they said, well, there is already a mechanism by which this happens. There's scientific proof that. When you have a particular emotion, strong emotion like fear or anger or whatever, that you give off like pheromones, and those pheromones can can linger after you're gone. So maybe sure. there's this idea that like there can still be some anger or hate or something in the air after the person's gone, and you pick that up. We all pick that up, and then we start to think, oh, you know, if. This place maybe, feels weird. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe like some, and th- that would only be like a couple minutes, but, but you would subconsciously through your life say like, oh, you know, if it could linger for that long, maybe it could linger for longer. So, well, and, and let me take it uh, a step further, right? We have these like sites that uh, are home to, uh, Man-made disasters, right? Like really awful events, right? Uh, Wounded Knee or uh, uh, Dachau or, you know, wherever these locations, they're really awful and terrible. And, you know, we say we've salted the earth, right? We're never coming back there. And it's only after we consecrate that ground, right? It's only after we turn it into a monument that we recognize the disaster. Uh, we, We have, I'm sure, some sort of ceremony to change the meaning of that place that we can now go back and visit it. Right. It is not entirely dissimilar to how we rid a haunted house of a ghost. Right. We have to find whatever that is that has not been consecrated. And then we have to, uh, you know, we, we have to make peace with it. Right. And then the entire house transforms. It's like the end of a haunted house, right? Like the end of the haunted house movie where suddenly the sun comes out. Right. And the, you know, or the the house eats itself. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. In 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 um, Poltergeist, yeah. Poltergeist Monster House, right? I, mm-hmm. I understand it's yeah. a, a cartoon, but still, that's what happens. Yeah, right. It it is utterly and completely transformed. So I think that that's super interesting. Yeah. Well, I have, and this is not necessarily in the origins of haunted house, but as we get closer to making our transitions to talk about the movie. I found this really interesting article from the cinema, uh, no, from Cultural Studies Review from 2004. The author's name is Alan Cholodenko, and 
It is called The Crypt, The Haunted House, The Cinema. And what I loved about this is his thesis is essentially the reason why horror movies lean into the haunted house concept is that the movie theater, like the theater, the cinema itself, sometimes even movies itself, can function like haunted houses. That they capture the spirit of their actors, right? And they live on forever, but not in any kind of corporeal form. And in the uh, article, he talks about how, like, haunted houses are perpetually dark. They are often filled with noise, right? They have visual representation, but not tangible representation of what took place. And I loved that comparison. And I think it is super fascinating. I, yeah, exactly. Wow. And, you know, when you, when you see something again and again used to great effect um it's it's obviously got to be touching on something that is a is a is a cultural or like universal touchstone for us right so yeah yeah, i love it i love it yeah and uh you know so next time you go to your amc theater or screenland armor big shout out to our local small group here just think you're you're walking into a crypt good luck have fun (laughs) All right, man. Hey, right. One last thing before we start talking about uh, this movie. Um, there's a great book out there called Make America Hate Again from uh, Rutledge Press. There is a f- it's coming. It's coming out soon. Yep. Yep. Um, it's uh, essays written by academics about our favorite subject, horror. Right. And it's got a great one in there called. um Called "I Told You Not to Go in That House." Get out and horrors race and horrors racial politics by Christopher Lloyd. Now, Get Out isn't a haunted house movie, but there are. It does use housing and the suburban landscape and houses to particular effect, and I thought that was interesting while I was reading it. And you know, I was I knew we were going to be because I was reading it last week, and I knew we were going to be doing this um, this podcast about. Uh, haunted houses but what really stuck out to me was so um so so christopher lloyd wrote this um wrote this piece and then between him writing it and all the editing or whatever and getting ready to get published well there was a new movie camp came out it was called us and uh, by jordan peele so he wanted to throw in just a little bit at the end about about that right so i i pulled this quote out he said where Get Out used the sunken place as a metaphor for black subjugation in Us, he uses tethering and untethering, a mode of connection between self and the other, identity and its shadow side. With these two terms terms alone, Peel is developing a grammar, a vocabulary of political horror sufficient to the demands of the 21st century. And I thought that was so amazing because there's this cultural touchstone of this 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 house right and in in his movie it isn't a haunted house but some of the things can act the same way he's doing something completely different to make it more relevant to today and the work that he's trying to do and i think that's fantastic yeah right like uh as they're walking them through the house as they're walking chris through the house and get out right uh he tries to go into the basement or they show the basement and they say oh no no we can't go down there do you remember what they say 
Is the reason why they can't go down there? Mm-mm, no. What, what was it? Black mold. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So initially, right, I was thinking, oh, black mold, like I have in my basement. And then uh, as we started talking about haunted houses, try to factor in, get out into that, right? Like they're not talking mold like M-O-L-D, right? They're talking uh, black mold like M-O-U-L-D, right? Like a a mold of something else, right? And that's where all the bodies and all of the bad stuff in the movie takes place. For a hundred percent, that house is haunted. Yeah, yeah, but but it's not a typical haunted house movie, right? Mm. And, and and I don't think no, that like not at all. And I, I don't think that when you describe the movie to people, you'd be oh yeah, oh, it's a haunted house. No, it's no, totally not at different, all. You're right. But it uses kind of these forms reimagined, kind of twisted around. Some things are different, and then to to make this new this new vocabulary of political horror, I love it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what he's able to do so well is kind of bend these different genres to his will. You know, uh, it it will have to save for a different discussion, but I'd argue Get Out as a zombie film, as I have argued for years and years and years, but nobody's willing to engage me with that. Of yeah. course, of course. I think he's doing kind of the same thing with zombies too. You know, but okay, uh, let's talk about this movie, Paranormal Activity. Yeah. Ring that spoiler bell, Mikey. Because we're going to spoil this. If you haven't seen, I think everybody's probably seen this one, right? Come on. God, I would hope so. I mean, especially if they're listening to this podcast. If you like talking about smart horror, I mean, kind of got to see the the, the canon. Got eh, Is this canon? I don't know. That might I don't be a know. Bit rough. Yeah. You going to read the summary of this for us? Yeah, so let's do it. Uh, So the movie. After a young middle-class couple moves into a suburban starter tract house, they become increasingly disturbed by a presence that may or may not be somehow demonic, but is certainly the most active in the middle of the night, especially when they sleep or try to. Dun-dun-dun. Written by Paramount Pictures. Yeah. So... Okay, a couple things. This movie came out in 2007, right? Yeah. Okay, so not that we always got to hit the socio-political angle and the socio-economic angle, but one, they move into a brand new suburban starter tract house in San Diego. Yeah. 2007. What happened in 2008? I mean, you're talking about the housing crisis, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing yeah. like like fell apart. And check this out. What does Micah, what's Micah's job? He's a day trader. What? It's wild, yeah, right? Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. And, and so, I, I mean, I just, it, but that's, but I mean, obviously the movie was, you know, probably written in 2004, 2005, you know, shot in 2006, released 2000, whatever, right? Uh, but I'm really surprised that none of the other movies didn't come back and pick that shit up. That's like gold right there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, of like them getting stuck in the house or them not being able to make the payments and like a for like that's like, oh yeah. So I can't believe yeah. they didn't pick that that up. Um, what do you think? Is this more of a haunted house movie or more of a of a found footage movie? Well, I mean, let's see if it fits some of those criteria in uh, the third part of the podcast. How okay, about all right, all right. How, how, how about did you like this movie? 
you always you always ask that. So this movie came out 2007. I was teaching high school. I remember all the kids were like, "Have you have you seen this movie? It's that's real. because of the fucking marketing campaign. The no, marketing, no, no. yeah. They they wouldn't say that it was real. They like the marketing campaign was badass. It was I think the first one to film the audience reaction using like night vision goggles. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so like. You didn't see any of the movie. You just saw in the trailer the audience reaction to it. You know, they were like, scariest movie ever, you know, or whatever, right? I remember the marketing campaign long before, and that's what gets the high school kids hyped, you know? That's true. That's true. Um, I don't think it lived up to the hype, but it made a bunch of money, and they've made like five sequels. So Yeah. 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 Um. I thought the first movie was good. You will notice as you're doing research, uh, if you're geeks like us doing research on the movies, um, it gets a lot of comparison to Blair Witch Project because it's found footage and it's kind of innovative and it's doing some different stuff. Um, I don't, other than being in the same subgenre, I don't think it's necessarily a really fair comparison because it's a really small film, right? It's purposefully small where I think Blair Witch Project uses uh, the 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 camera to explore all kinds of different areas and uses like the the the, the vast wilderness as a creepy thing, right? Mm. It's the exact opposite in this film. The claustrophobia of the house is what makes it so scary, you know? Yeah, I kind of I I don't really know if there's any analogs to what happens in what has happened with found footage film where a, a camera technique a film technique has become a genre and it really doesn't fit you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of differences there's massive differences between between found footage films you know it seems like it's just like a tool that's used and yeah. somehow, you know, that's, that, yeah. that's weird, but yeah, it covers lots of, of different ways. Yeah. But, but I think the two get unfairly compared to one another, which does both a disservice. So. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. I think, I think that the big things to remember about this movie kind of culturally and the kind of the, some of the reasons that I think people will continue to kind of call back to it is uh, one, the marketing, right. Two, the ex- just extreme amount of, um, money that it made, like it, like it way overperformed, right? Um, yeah, well, and that's the thing with found footage is you typically don't have to invest a shit ton, you know. So, yeah, but I think I think it I think it outperformed like even their wildest dreams, probably, right? I mean, I think that Paramount probably had like a, you know, thought it was going to make X, and it probably made like. 2x or something like that but anyways i'm not i'm not sure about that i'm just talking out my talking out my ass um <clears throat> but i think that the third thing it will be the um not the specifics of the camera technique but the specifics of the special effects i think that the special effects were they, they were they were they were simple they were well done they were just very uh impactful yeah well i, I let me tell you you have children i have children okay it utilizes one of the fucking most terrifying things that children do, which is wake up in the middle of the night, walk quietly into your room, 
and stand oh, over your bed. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Have you have you have you ever had one of the kids wake you up that way? Like it is fucking terrifying. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You're like you are a little psychopath. You are a three year old psychopath. What are you doing? And they typically are like, well, they cry and you'll feel bad about it. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, to get back to your previous point there earlier, paranormal activity made a uh, hundred and almost a hundred and eight million dollars. Holy moly. Yep. So a fuck ton of money. So I also think that a close watching later, you know what? 13, 12, 13 years later, um, kind of reveals some of the things they didn't do very well, which I think is around that plot, right? One of the things that I think that on a second watch really closely, I noticed there's a, there's a dissonance, right? Between where the entity came from or whatever, whatever it is, is it tied to Katie or is it in the house? And that is, is weird because it plays like a haunted house movie, but, but did she bring it with her? You know, right. surprise! It's not, and as the sequels go on to kind of um, but, but, highlight, but it's, that's it's go ahead. That's not a surprise. That comes from the very beginning, when the when the first dude shows up. Like I think it's like fourteen minutes into the film when the dude shows up and he's like, uh, "I'm a paranormal investigator or whatever." Let's talk about your past, Katie, and she like lays it all out there. Yeah, right. That is so, true. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. It's uh. Uh, maybe as we get into part three, we can talk about it more in depth, but it, it, there is probably a subclassification of a haunted person, right? Uh, of, a, of a thing that is plagued by a particular demon or entity or ghost or whatever you want to call it. And I, I think this movie would probably fit more comfortably in that category, but there are just so many other techniques that it employs that it feels like a haunted house film. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, man. You got anything to say else specifically about the movie? No, I I I, I liked it. I think yeah. maybe I liked it a little better than you, but yeah, that's cool. Well, no, I mean, and and I think that I think if you look at the later like movies, especially like the fourth movie, like it's just like these movies just re- rely heavily on like that camera technique. Yeah, and just kind of the same kind of thing. And there's the in the and then the plot. I think is pretty. Just pretty weak across the whole thing. I, I mean, it, I don't. Yeah, I, I would say it is almost. Um, if weak, sure, it feels unfocused, right? It feels like there is a kernel of a decent idea, and they just didn't take enough time to flush it out. So, I mean, that's cool. I get it. I understand. Yeah, I mean, they make they make they make a ton of money, and they're going to continue to make a ton of money, and they're going to make paranormal activity movies until they stop making money. I mean. Yep. Just get, we, we all have to just come come to grips with that, learn yep. to accept it. So, is it a good Haunted House movie? Well, let's go back to those initial elements that I talked about, okay? Okay. Does it involve a terrible crime that occurred in the house? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't no. even think we get an initial crime with her, right? Like, it's not... It's like, she... She didn't do something bad or something bad didn't happen. No, no. You know, okay. I, I, so just to throw this out, I like the idea that it's like a tract house. It's like a new house, right? Right. That like 
that like even if it, even if it's a new it's, it's that poltergeist thing right right like because the, the house is new in poltergeist but it's still haunted because of what's underneath right and the, right there's right. there's all the symbolism of of dredging up old stuff or whatever whatever yeah um yeah there's no murder and there's nobody buried under the oh, that's the second one there's nobody buried under their house yeah um we we get no mention of anything being buried we get no mention of uh the only thing i would say is the photograph like we get this like half burnt weird photograph thing right mm-hmm. uh which is kind of the a totem right it's 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 like a bone it's like a thing and it is referencing uh, the the larger crime or the larger problem, but so I guess if we could count that, maybe. And then we the murdered person haunts the house. It's clearly the demon thing that is haunting the house, right? Could be a ghost, could be a demon, probably a demon, maybe a demon. Yeah. Hmm. Is there ever any attempt to communicate what the initial deal was? Well, there's. The- <clears throat> No, I mean, there's the there's the failed uh, Ouija board thing, but not right. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, are there reports of visual apparitions and auditory phenomena? For yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, inhabitants are fearful and scared to live in the house. Yes. Yeah. They should. They should have yes. left earlier. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the the bottom line. Is uh, I think we might have mentioned this in our Amityville episode. But there is, I think it's an Eddie Murphy uh, skit where, I think it's Eddie Murphy. But he talks about how, like, if he were touring a haunted house, right, and he'd be like, oh, this is beautiful. I can't believe we can get it this cheap. And it's, it's you know, it's amazing. And look how many rooms it has. And then the walls start to bleed and a voice <laughs> says, get out. And he's like, sorry, we can't stay. <laughs> you know, we, we got to go. So, yeah, get the fuck out. If something's going on, uh, our advice to you from the horror pod class is leave early, not late. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know, another uh, when talking talking about this, there's a um, there's a great I'll I'll link to the YouTube of it. There's a great um, sketch that Eddie Murphy or not Eddie Murphy. um, Steve Martin and, and somebody else did at the Oscars. That the year that this came out, and uh, it was it was like the two of them like in bed, like uh, what do you call, not not stop motion, but when like they play something, no, when they play something like really fast, like they do in this, um, oh, time lapse, right. time yeah. lapse, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's the two of them like in bed, like time lapse, and uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so I think that I think that on a closer examination, this has got some. It's obviously the house, like it's like they move into this new house, and then these things start happening. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Having watched it now a number of times, I think it is less the house and more the stress that the house brings on, right? <laughs> So, but I don't so, think I don't think that they ever like play that up. Like, like remember? No, what I said, they don't. And I, but I think that's the weaker script in it. I don't think that's necessarily what they're going for. You know? Yeah. I think it would have been just a much stronger movie if if the characters would have brought the emotions and then the house would have brought the, the supernatural, and yeah. then you know. Yeah, hmm. I don't. I'm, I don't 
fundamentally disagree with you. Yeah. So, so, but you know what it does follow. So it doesn't follow these very well. But you know it does follow that whole uh, kind of plot, right? Of of you move into the new house and then a, some little things start to happen and then some big things start to happen and then you bring in the experts and the experts can't help you and then eventually it somebody gets murdered. Or no, I mean, eventually it like builds to a climax and then something has to happen. So, Truth. Yeah. Yep, I, I think so. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody wants to make his closing statement on the film as well. Anonymous Amazon customer. What did he think of this? Anonymous Amazon user says, did I watch the same movie as you? This makes Blair Witch Project look like Citizen Kane. (laughs) I mean, that's the worst hyperbole ever, but it was absolutely boring. If you've seen the trailer, that's all there is. There's a shock at the end, the last two minutes or so, but that's all. The rest is a guy walking around with a video camera while his girlfriend keeps telling him to shut it off. I mean, kind of sounds a little bit like the Ansel household. Waiting for something to happen, other than some bed sheets lifting as if somebody passed gas in bed. <laughs> also <laughs> sounds like the Ansel household. Uh, there is nothing. I almost fell asleep and actually fast forward parts waiting for something to happen. They do the fast forwarding for you. That's Ad- true. That's true. <laughs> Additionally, some of the same scenes get repeated. I have no clue what's going on here. Remember those short Halloween videos people send where somebody jumps out at the last second? That's what this movie is. One scene at the end. That's it. Just watch the last scene. Sorry if I ruined it for you, but there is nothing here. Be afraid. Be very afraid of wasting an hour and 45 minutes of your life. Yeah. You know, I think that there's going to be tons of people like this. I did not particularly enjoy the movie. I think that this movie made Citizen Kane look like Citizen Kane. But in the end, in the end, you do have to give it some respect and some street cred. And you have to look at it at least for the reason of this was like this is like a phenomenon. Right. This is this is it made a bunch of money. Something is obviously going on here. Yeah. Um, It's 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 resonating with people and uh and i don't know if that's more about the the house and or or more about the found footagey pov element i'm leaning towards the latter but yeah i mean it's it's not a bad it's not a bad way to spend your time and i do think it will be a classic certainly a classic found footage movie and and is worthy of discussion as we have told you and shown you this last hour. So and I just can't believe that the second and third ones, they went prequel when they should have gone housing crisis, man. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Right. Yeah. But you know, maybe uh, too soon, right? Too soon, too soon. (sighs) Yeah, maybe, but you know what? You couldn't do it now because now people be like, housing market doing good. It's not scary. I guess. Although I did read an article that said it looks like 2008 all over again. But anyways, that that's a different oh, yeah. uh, that's a different discussion for a different day. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. Um, where can they find more of uh, your stuff out there on the internet? Where mm-hmm. is there more Mike D? Yep, you can find my stuff on SignalHorizon.com, where we write smart about horror with tons of other really cool people and Goodreads. Or if you really want to get a hold of me, I answer every email that I get. You can get me at 
Mike at SignalHorizon.com. I love it. That's great. Yeah. And if you want to support the podcast, Tyler, tell them where they can find your stuff and how they can help support this podcast and keep us free of the tyrannical rule of corporations and and demons and all that demons other stuff and other things that go bump in the night right yeah because we've, we've been we've been looking for lots of different ways to keep this keep this show on the air keep the servers spinning you know that kind of that kind of stuff and and demonology is probably our, our next step yeah. unless unless we can get some more patreon members yeah we got it we got a conjure beelzebub unless we get a handful of new patreon members and you can do that by moseying on over to the signal horizon patreon page and dropping us a dollar or two or five or ten uh like i mentioned at the beginning we're all teachers here man so we teach all day and then it brings us great joy to come and talk about smart smart horror uh in the evening so check us out there you can check uh, more of my stuff out at Ty Unsel on Twitter. I do use it, probably not as much as I should, but uh, you can also check out more of the Horror Pod Class uh, facts and information and discussion at the Horror Pod Class group on Facebook. We would love for you to join that, join the conversation, whatever topic we are talking about that week, you're more than welcome to participate. And that being said, we have... It's like the extra special episode of Blossom, Michael. Oh, I love it. I love it. Next week, we have the extra special episode of the Horror Pod Class. John Lingen, the author of The Fisherman and a number of other uh, amazing pieces of literature, will be joining us to uh, talk about the Larry Fessenden classic Habit. So it's going to be a fascinating conversation. We cannot wait to uh, talk to John about one of his favorite movies and one of ours, too. So make sure you check us out next week. All right. Until then, class dismissed. Class dismissed.